0: Hello, hello, and welcome or welcome back to the Live Label Free Podcast. Today's episode is a super special one as we're going to be talking about the intricate interplay between autism, anorexia, and metabolism. I've been thinking about this topic for a long time, Due to my personal experience that I'll be sharing in just a moment, but I want to give a special shout out to my client and super mom, Amy. She is the mother of an autistic daughter with anorexia and it was through speaking with her that I finally felt empowered to do all the research to write out this episode and share some super fascinating science to answer the question of whether metabolism is a possible connector of autism, and anorexia. We're going to get into all of that and more, but before we do, if you have not yet purchased my book, Rainbow Girl, what are you even waiting for? Rainbow Girl, My Journey to Living Life in Full Color is a memoir of my entire journey. I share what it was like growing up undiagnosed autistic, how this led to the development of an eating disorder, and all the steps I took to fully recover and become label-free. The feedback on Rainbow Girl has been so incredible already. All the messages, emails, and reviews truly warm my heart and illustrate how we need more stories of lived experience in the autism and eating disorder recovery space. Just listen to what Lou, who you may know as neurodivergent underscore Lou on Instagram, has to say about the book. Rainbow Girl is an incredibly gripping read that exceptionally captures the autistic experience of eating disorders, which is so rarely discussed. While reading, it felt like I was simultaneously walking with Livia through her darkest and most vulnerable times, but also that through her experiences, she was guiding me, sharing the light, perseverance, hope, and joy. So much of Rainbow Girl resonates with my own story and experiences as a neurodivergent individual. Livia's book highlights an empowering and authentic message that I will forever carry with me. If you want to learn how to free yourself or an autistic loved one from an eating disorder, grab your copy of Rainbow Girl today by visiting the link livelabelfree.com forward slash so again, that's LiveLabelFree.com forward slash Rainbow Girl. Now, let's get back to today's episode. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting... So, is metabolism a possible connector of autism and anorexia? To date, there is meager scientific evidence of the role that metabolism plays in neurodiversity and eating disorders separately, much less the role it plays when the conditions co-occur. I have always had a very fast metabolism. Even during my most restrictive years of anorexia, I ate an amount of food that would be considered quote-unquote normal for a majority of the population. Yet because it was a starvation diet for me, I suffered from severe malnutrition which only amplified my anxious-natured thoughts. When I finally decided to recover from anorexia once and for all, my body's rapid energetic usage came to light with a vengeance. To gain weight, my body demanded caloric amounts that were upwards of 5 times the recommended 2,000 to 3,000 calories per day. When I went through extreme hunger, this nutritional need only increased. Even now, I patently eat much more than those around me, who are often flabbergasted as to how I can eat entire cakes, pies, and jars of nut butters on a daily basis while maintaining my weight. While I, as well as my treatment providers, attributed my inflated energetic needs in recovery to a temporary requirement that would decrease as I came out of energy deficit and paid off energy debt, which are terms that I described in my previous podcast episode titled The Biological Importance of Honoring Your Extreme Hunger, reflection of my childhood eating habits combined with those I have now Beg the question of an intrinsic metabolic component independent of starvation's effects. Perhaps this component may also underlie an autistic individual's proneness to developing anorexia in the first place for high energetic requirements, and a difficulty or inability to sense them would increase the chances of falling into energy deficit in the first place. So, in this podcast episode, I will share the two main reasons for why metabolism may be altered in autistic individuals and how this understanding can help us connect the seemingly invisible scientific dots to anorexia. The first component of hypermetabolism in autistic people has to do with brain metabolism specifically. While the brain makes up a mere 2% of our total body mass, it uses a whopping 20% of the body's total energy. Of this, it is estimated that neurons consume 75-80% to of energy produced in the brain. Neurons, also called nerve cells, are the building blocks of the nervous system. Nerve cells are electrically excitable and communicate with each other through synapses forming complex networks that enable all sorts of mental gymnastics from Thinking and feeling to moving and sensing. They're like the ultimate communication squad passing messages in the form of electrical signals. Intriguingly, several studies have found that autistic brains contain more neurons. One study even indicated that autistic children had 67% more neurons in the prefrontal cortex, which is an area of the brain linked to social, emotional, and communication processing. This finding helps understand why autistic people may struggle in these areas for the increased neuronal connections that become activated in situations when social emotional and communication skills are necessary may contribute to mental overwhelm it's like being at a really crowded concert where everyone's playing their own tune not only does it become impossible to hear each individual note but the simultaneous melodies create a whirlwind of literal noise, anyone would want to escape such a chaotic situation. Bringing this back to metabolism, if up to 80% of the brain's energy is consumed by neurons, and autistic brains indeed have 67% more neurons, we don't even need to do any math equations to conclude that the autistic brain requires much more energy to function than a neurotypical one. But because I love math, let's just calculate this. I mean, just for fun. So 3,000 calories, let's just say a basic human needs 3,000 calories. And I mean, I need way more than 3,000 calories, but we're just going to say that a basic human needs 3,000 calories. Now, 20%, so that's what the brain uses um, of the total energy intake, 20% of these 3,000 calories would be 600 calories used by the brain. Now, when we go to how much of this energy is consumed by neurons, so we remember that figure 75 to 80% of the brain's energy is used by neurons, so 80% of these 600 calories would be 480 calories consumed by neurons. And because autistic brains use or have 67% more neurons, we do 480 Times one point six seven equals eight hundred calories. So I know that it's really hard to kind of do the math mentally when I'm just like speaking it to you. So if you want to check out this math equation, um, you can just find the blog post of this episode, which I will link in the show notes. If you're listening to this, um, as a podcast or on YouTube, I will link uh, the blog post version of this in the description below so coming back to the conversation in comparison to the 480 calories consumed by the neurons of a neurotypical brain our final outcome of 800 calories indicates that the autistic brain and keep in mind we're ignoring all other parts of the body right now needs 320 more calories just to function So, of course, like I said, the body needs much more energy than just to use as brain fuel. Think of digestion, a beating heart, breathing, and that's not even considering all the energy it takes to just get up in the morning, walk around, and deal with the challenges and stimulation of everyday life. Which brings us to the next reason for why autistic people have a higher energy expenditure. The nervous system. But before we get into that, I want to share a completely free resource with you. Have you listened to my free audio training yet? If not, you have got to get your booty over to my website right now and download the audio training. Three steps to recovery from an eating disorder as an autistic person. If there is one question I get asked the most when it comes to autism and eating disorders, it's whether or not I believe it's harder for an autistic person to recover from an eating disorder. The fact that this is such a common question is really no surprise as autistic traits are often the root cause of the disordered eating behaviors. I believe my own eating disorder was simply a manifestation of my autism. Obsessive interests, the need for predictability and routine, difficulty with change, being sensitive. As soon as you mix food and exercise into this autistic assemblage of traits, it's literally a recipe for an eating disorder. So then how does an autistic individual approach recovery from an eating disorder? Well, that is exactly what you will learn in my free audio training. While listening, you'll be guided through Three simple steps to give you the clarity and confidence you need to use your autism to your advantage in recovery. It's like having a private coaching session with me on demand. To listen to the free training, all you have to do is head over to livelabelfree.com forward slash free dash audio training and you'll be on your way to learning the skills to fully recover from an eating disorder as an autistic person. Achieving a state of full recovery from an eating disorder will be a different journey than for someone who is not autistic but that doesn't mean it has to be harder. I did it which means you can too. Now let's get back to today's episode. We've talked about nerve cells, which are the building blocks of the nervous system, the body's ultimate communication network. If neurons are like cars passing communication from one town to the next, the nervous system can be seen as all the roads through which the nerve cells travel to coordinate and regulate all of the body's activities. The nervous system can be divided into two main parts, the central nervous system, CNS, and the peripheral nervous system, PNS. The central nervous system can be seen as the body's headquarters, consisting of the brain and spinal cord. The brain is a command center responsible for processing information, thinking, and coordinating responses. The spinal cord serves as a highway for signals between the brain and the rest of the body. The peripheral nervous system, PNS, is the network that extends beyond the CNS, It includes nerves that branch out from the spinal cord to reach every part of the body. The PNS is further divided into the somatic nervous system, which controls voluntary movements and sensory information, and the autonomic nervous system, which regulates involuntary functions like heartbeat and digestion. The autonomic nervous system, ANS, can be divided even further. Historically, this has been done by splitting it into the sympathetic nervous system and the parasympathetic nervous system. However, according to the polyvagal theory invented by psychiatrist, neuroscientist, and author Stephen Porges, the autonomic nervous system can be subdivided into not two, but three distinct circuits. The sympathetic nervous system, SNS, the dorsal vagal complex, DVC, and the ventral vagal complex, VVC. I know this all sounds very scientific and complicated, but bear with me because this information is super important and helpful in understanding everything that I'm talking about today. And don't worry because I'm going to be explaining each branch according to the polyvagal theory in simple terms right now. So the sympathetic nervous system, SNS, can be seen as the body's escape-the-danger system. In the face of threat or stress, the SNS kicks in, preparing your body for action. It's responsible for the fight-or-flight response, increasing heart rate, dilating pupils, and redirecting blood flow to muscles. It's your body's way of saying, we need to escape the danger. Let's go. When the sympathetic nervous system fails to provide safety, however, the dorsal vagal complex, VVC, kicks in. It's part of the parasympathetic nervous system and can initiate the freeze response. It slows down heart rate, reduces energy expenditure, and can lead to a shutdown-like state. It's like playing possum in the face of danger. And the last branch, the ventral vagal complex, VVC, is also known as the social engagement system and is also part of the parasympathetic nervous system along with the DVC, but it plays a role in calming things down after a stressor. It's involved in social connection and relaxation. When activated, it can counteract the sympathetic nervous system's fight or flight response, promoting a sense of safety and connection. Obviously, we want to spend most of our time in safety and connection mode, but the reality is that autistic people spend most of their time in fight or flight mode. Over time, this leads to burnout and other symptoms of shutdown because the body is just exhausted. Why? Because activation of your sympathetic nervous system is energetically draining. Just think about it. If you're in a threatening situation, which, if you're living in a world that wasn't built for you, you constantly are, your body is going to initiate actions that will help you escape the danger. One of these actions is the release of stress hormones like adrenaline and cortisol, which mobilize energy stores in the body for quick use. In the short term, this survival mechanism is effective for dealing with acute stressors, but prolonged activation without adequate recovery, can take a toll on the body's energy reserves. In a way, it's like sprinting, great for a short burst, but not sustainable for the long haul. While this understanding of the nervous system shines light on why autistic people tend to become easily exhausted, it also explains why we tend to have higher metabolisms. So if your body is constantly saying, OMG, there's danger, let's mobilize the stored energy so we can find safety, You're burning a lot of calories to fulfill this endeavor. In conclusion, the exploration of the intricate relationship between autism anorexia and metabolism unveils a fascinating connection that extends beyond the conventional realms of neurodiversity and eating disorders. I hope that opening up about my own experience with metabolism, as well as sharing all this research and science on heightened brain activity and the state of the nervous system, helps you to better understand yourself. Or if you're a loved one or a carer of an individual with co-occurring autism and anorexia, I truly hope this episode has created a sense of increased compassion and empowerment on your journey. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Recovering from an eating disorder and living a life of freedom as an autistic person in a neurotypical world all comes down to creating a sense of trust and safety. When we feel safe and trust our environment, there is simply no need to be in fight or flight mode all the damn time. Furthermore, when we take the time and space we need to process and recharge we also protect our already hyperactive brains from becoming overwhelmed and increasing our anxiety. Yeah, autism is complex. Eating disorders are complex. Both of them together is complex. But humans are complex, and it's our complexity that makes us rich and beautiful. Which is also why there's no such thing as being too complex Anyways, that is all I have for you today, my friend. If you got anything out of this episode, please, please, please share it with someone who you think will benefit from it, even if that's sharing it on social media. And if you're enjoying this podcast, Please leave a five star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever app you are listening on. Ratings and reviews help other people to find this show so that together we can create more awareness and raise understanding of autism and eating disorders. I'll talk to you in the next episode. Bye bye for now. Just one foot in front of the other. And you're- This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv. This podcast has been edited by my small but mighty Live Label Free team. And the beautiful song, One Foot in Front of the Other, that you are now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.